but moments that matter. Moments that matter. Moments that matter. So welcome to this latest edition of the Moments That Matter podcast series. And this is our first podcast for 2022. I can't believe it's March already. And being early March, it means we're about to come up to the 8th of March, which is International Women's Day. And to recognise that, today we're speaking to three women from Northern Sydney Local Health District, and they're three leaders within that organisation. And the conversation today really covers their journey as leaders within the health industry, but also looks at the International Women's Day theme of breaking the bias and how we should go about doing that for the next generation of leaders coming through, and also to help ensure that we really do get the benefits and the value of having a diverse workforce and diverse leadership teams across all industries within our society. So whether you're listening to this from within Northern Sydney Local Health District through the Moments That Matter portal, or just as a subscriber to the Moments That Matter podcast itself, I think you'll get a lot out of this, not only in terms of the recognition of International Women's Day, but in regard to improving leadership skills and indeed a lot of the soft skills you need to be successful in today's contemporary workplace. So I hope you enjoy this conversation today with Emma Tan, Bahare Maradi, and Michelle DeRoom from the Northern Sydney Local Health District. So thank all of you for your time today. I'm going to start with you, Michelle. If you could just give me a bit of a background of your career journey to date and maybe what inspired you to get into public health, and then we'll make our way around the room and sort of hear from everyone around their career journeys. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, and thanks for having me today. A bit of background about my career, so really just finishing school, trying to work out what I wanted to do with my career. Um, and was really inspired by my mum, who's a registered nurse. I used to absolutely love sitting around listening to her and her friends, talking about work and debriefing and all of those things. Um, and mum was a really strong and really effective leader herself. And so I was just so proud of her. So really following my mum's footsteps, so did nursing. And then uh, finished that and then did midwifery. So really just for... I was actually doing it because mum said you really should have your midwifery because she regretted not having it. And I just absolutely fell in love with that profession immediately. So, you know, the first time to be with a woman and her family when she's giving birth was one of the, something I'll never forget. Um, so, yeah, and that's, so then my career's just progressed through. Um, I just was very lucky to have opportunities where, and mentorship opportunities. So, you know, I completed my master's and things like that, but what really made a difference to my career was a fantastic mentor, um, and her name's Kathy Adams, and I wanted to acknowledge her today. So she's an amazing midwife who's done a lot um, for maternity services in New South Wales and even Australia. So she really challenged me and supported me as a, as a mentor, not just a, a friend, but actually challenging me to, to take those extra steps, um, to be brave, to do those projects. And that's really helped. So then I became a midwifery consultant and then I moved through into management positions. So, yeah, just really taking opportunities as they came. So at the moment, I am network manager for midwifery practice for Northern Sydney Local Health District, which I really see as just such an honour and a privilege to be in that role representing midwives at this level. So we'll go to Bahare now and a similar story for you, or similar for you, Bahare, just take us through your career history to date. Sure, thank you. Uh, so by the background, I'm a doctor and from the time that I actually started medical school, I kind of knew that I, that I have a lot of interest in the 
dark side of the medicine, as some people say. I always wanted to know how we run the health as a business and how we run facilities, basically, hospitals. And I had very much interest in the financial management and funding, how we, for example, allocate different funding to different services and a lot of interest in health economics. And as a junior doctor, you actually never know how you can pursue that career, basically. Um, so I did quite a lot of work in the clinical uh, aspect of medicine. For example, I did radiation oncology as a registrar. I did my physician training again as a registrar. And then I discovered this amazing field called medical administration. And then after doing a little bit of research, I realized that's really what I want to do. And now I'm, uh, that's actually can satisfy my hunger for challenging myself in different levels, basically. And I uh, managed to successfully finish my uh, fellowship not a while ago. It's been amazing. Uh, I uh, enjoy every single minute of this, basically, uh, since the time that I changed my field as being a clinician to become a medical administrator. And then I'm lucky enough at the moment uh, to work in two different roles. As I have, I'm a deputy director of medical services at North Shore. And uh, I'm assistant to executive director of medical services here at the district, which is a very interesting. So I have different roles and responsibilities in terms of managing workforce, uh, dealing with some clinical incidents, medical legal things, financial management, clinical governance, um, which is very interesting, challenging. But yeah, as I said, um, every single minute of it, it's very enjoyable. And I think potentially because of, of all of the great people that I'm working with them as a team, basically. Thank you. That was me. So I hand over to Emma. Hi, um, yeah, my name's Emma. I'm an occupational therapist, currently working as both a clinical occupational therapist at Motivale Hospital and also working for the Allied Health Directorate as an Allied Health Development Consultant. But my journey has been very different. I didn't actually start out in health. I started out in engineering. So I'm a chemical engineer and I worked for Shell in their oil refinery for 13 years, working my way up into a lead process engineer position. So very technical role. Um, I also worked with, I worked with the operators on the plant just to make, worked on sort of process design, worked on keeping all the products on grade. So when Sydney ran out of on grade petrol, that was partly my fault. And, um, and also, um, yeah, troubleshooting, problem solving and optimization of the plant. And actually, after, after 12 or 13 years, I realised that the bit of my job that motivated me the most was actually making a difference with people and actually helping people. It was the people side of the job that really interested me, not so much the technical side. So I went back to uni, I retrained as an OT, and I found, initially I found that quite dry. There were a lot of theoretical concepts and I thought, why am I doing this? What does an OT actually do? It's a really practical role. And I did my first placement at Royal North Shore with the OT department here and I had an amazing student unit supervisor and an amazing unit to work with and I actually realised that OT was about helping people find purpose and meaning and being able to participate in their lives and have those meaningful lives and I just thought this philosophy is something that I love, I'm really passionate about this and this is what I want to do with my career and from then on I was set so I finished my course and then started work. I've Pretty much been, I did a year in private practice and since then I've moved through um, community and the spinal unit here at Royal North Shore. I've also worked in rehab over at Ride and I'm currently in community over at Motorvale. 
So through that journey, I've realised, yeah, I can make a difference one-on-one -on -one in people's lives. You know, I can really make a difference. I can help them. I can help them find meaning and move on with their lives after they've been in hospital. But there's also the next step that I want to take where I can actually influence and make meaning and purpose in people's lives on a bigger picture that if I actually, I can move on from one-to-one -to, -one to actually working to influence, change systems and policy and have that bigger picture influence. So that's what I want to do which is why I've now moved into the Allied Health Development Consultant role, which is more looking at sort of bigger picture and strategy, but also potentially down the track doing a PhD as well and trying to change, make change from a research point of view. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a journey and it just keeps on evolving, but I think that's part of the adventure and that's what makes it really exciting. Well, it's good to know that if anyone's still upset about when we ran out of fuel uh, those years ago, we now know who to blame for it. Uh, the, we know the, where to go now. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing that came through in all of your responses there, where it's midwifery, uh, OT, or the dark arts that, uh, that Bahare said that she uh, dabbles in from a medical point of view, one thing that came through, I think, in all your responses was the passion that you have uh, for your profession and the passion that you have for the health industry. Is that something that has been more critical over these last couple of years to really help you push through? And I might get you to start with that, Emma, and, and the sort of challenges that you would have faced. How important is having passion for your job and being sort of connected uh, to the end goals that you're trying to achieve being? I think it's been really important because I think the last couple of years have been challenging from so many perspectives it's been tiring we've had to be really flexible we've been had to be so adaptable we haven't known what's going to happen one day to the next let alone one week to the next so we have had to be able to just yeah adapt um on the spot pretty much but i guess the bit that really stood out for me over the last couple of years was i guess you just had to be able to back yourself you had to have the courage to know where you know you were in a role because you can you know you can perform in that role. And I think a lot of the time as females you can you can tend to doubt yourself. You can tend to think I guess it's imposter syndrome. You can tend to think oh maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe I'm not good enough. It's the sort of fallback position rather than thinking I'm here because people think I can do this job and I know I can. So for example, um, during I'm a member of the Australian Medical Assistance Team. So. When COVID first hit, I was actually deployed up to Darwin to work in Howard Springs and uh, with the repatriation of people from the Diamond Princess over in Japan. And it was, the medical team was very much an emergency response team, so emergency doctors and nurses, uh, very much a medical model. But what we had to actually implement was very different. We're bringing back people who potentially were sick, we just needed to quarantine them and monitor them for a couple of weeks. Um, and if they did become sick, we could um, actually repatriate them to their own states. But what was needed was more of a psychological response, actually looking at them and saying, OK, they've been through this traumatic experience of being on a cruise ship and everyone coming down with COVID and people being taken around or taken away from around them. We need to actually give them some routine, give them some information, give them some security about, give them, tell them what's happening, tell them about COVID and actually provide that safety and security for them so they feel more comfortable, acknowledge the trauma that they've been through. And so as a newcomer coming into the team, I thought, well, A, I'm an allied health clinician. We don't have any other allied health clinicians here. Everyone else is a doctor and nurse. This is my first deployment. Everyone else has you know, been on heaps of deployments overseas before. And see, I'm this little female. Who's going to listen to me when it's a doctor standing up the front leading the mission? But this is a gap that I've identified that needs to be filled. And I just thought, well, I can either sit back and these, all the people in the camp are going to 
not benefit from what I can implement, or I can actually stand up in front of everybody and back myself and say, this is what needs to be done. And I thought, well, I haven't actually got anything to lose. The worst that can happen is they don't deploy me again, so let's keep this a go. So I stood up in front of everybody and I said, these are the gaps that I see, this is how we need to fill them. And everyone came on board, they all agreed. And I think that really taught me that yeah, I need to have confidence in my own abilities. And sometimes you don't know what you can do until you actually force yourself to push those boundaries. But yeah, I've learned a lot through the last couple of years for sure. Well, I think it's about learning about yourself. And the last two years, I think there would have been challenges within the health sector where you would have learned something about yourself. I mean, I'll throw the Michelle and Bahari now. I mean, what do you feel like you might have learned about yourself with the challenges of the past two years from both a, a health point of view and a leadership point of view? Definitely for me. Um, and I really just really sat with me then too, Emma, your story again about how much we have to be flexible and adaptable and be able to speak up. I think for me, the main things was that I needed to develop a bit more of an ability to back myself at times because this is new. It's not something you could just look up or that was already in my, you know, bank. Um, it was learning about COVID really quickly, needing to know that really quickly so that we could lead our teams so that they could have that confidence when I needed, when something needed to be changed, I needed to be able to say why. The big thing I learned about myself was I did have to sit I did have to take some of that feedback to say, you're not telling us why at times. So teams needed to know, what's the rationale? You can't just say you need to wear the mask now. You can't, there was so much of that going on that people were getting really fatigued with it. But when you actually discussed it and went through why, and people would say, you need to tell us, I had to listen. And I think listening was a really big part of it, listening to the team. What did they actually need from me? not what I thought they needed. I think that was my big learning and just how fatiguing change, constant change was for the team when they're still trying to do their work and really recognising me that anything I could do to minimise that fatigue at my leadership level. So if that was somebody wanted to bring in something new that wasn't related to COVID at the time, that sometimes I had to be strong enough to say the team can't do this. They cannot take any more things at the moment this is where we're at and have the strength to be able to sometimes have to push back on things. Whereas before I would be a bit more yes, but I had to really look, really look out for each other, but recognise that. So I think taking feedback, um, listening more. And what, what about you, Bahari? I mean, do you sort of lead on that? And that, that sort of leads into, I guess, an empathetic way of, of leadership. And that's been absolutely critical of us across these past two years. Is that something that you feel like you've taken into your leadership as well during this time? Um, yes, absolutely. Look, I think that was um interesting challenge the last two years for all of us, uh, regardless of what we did, basically, and where we worked. Um, and I think... We, I think we all recognize that as individuals, we can actually work tirelessly 24-7, but that's not sustainable. And that's highlighted the importance of having a good team around you that you can actually, in critical situations, you go and tell them that and you're able to actually count on them. And then like talking about, for example, the previous thing about the passion, if we we the reason that we work like that because we we are so passionate about what we do not just about the work that we do but for our patients for the community for the staff that are looking after them and they see it it's 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 something that actually easily is recognizable when you have that passion towards your staff or towards the patients or about the thing that you do 
it's actually people can see it very easily and that's how you can attract the right people to be on your side and your team and i think that was the big thing out of covid it, we we recognized the circle of trust for example that you can have it in your executive team that and during the crisis like how you can go where you can go how you can actually count on them like even with something very simple a simple um, smiley emoji face you know mm -hmm. that how are you going and smile basically and maybe that was the you know the highlight of your day despite trying mm -hmm. to deal and run the workforce basically during the whole COVID situation the other thing was if if we if we go um, and be honest with whoever we're communicating with mm -hmm. patients or staff and say look I don't have the answer it's it's uncertain and it's for all of us let's see and find out together mm -hmm. that what is the best way out of this then actually that opens up a lot of different not just the communication but also a lot of good different ideas that you think mm -hmm. is potentially hidden somewhere and then with even with saying that and being honest and say i actually don't know let's find out together <laughs> then you have all of these people that all of a sudden they're coming and supporting you yeah and potentially the other thing to that I learned actually during the COVID was uh, when when people they and, and I think we observe that with quite a lot of senior clinicians or maybe some of the managers or actually some of the patients dealing with anxiety impacts people quite a lot in a different way. Some people they they can adopt with anxiety a bit better and they can deal with it and they can control it. They're quite brave and they they you know they, they love the challenge and the adventure and do everything. But some people they go in that mode of protective mode basically. And that might come out as something like nasty looking or something angry looking. And it's it's important for the manager or for that leader to actually just pause for a second and just try to like peeling an onion, like hold it for a second and make sure that the, the, the thing that you see, it's not actually a true reflection of that person. Maybe there is a lot of noise is happening around it that you actually just need to give that person a minute time so they calm down and then you actually see the true nature of that person without all of that stress and anxiety Absolutely. around it. That's right. That's exactly that listening that I get. Yes. You know, it's just listening, sitting sometimes and hearing from their perspective and the problems get solved. Yes. The resilience of the teams that we were leading, I mean, still are, they are amazing. Oh, absolutely. After all of that, after premature, <laughs> like, yes. Well, I think that's critical, and it's it's really why we've brought you three together today. Because you know, you're three strong female leaders within Northern Sydney uh, local health district, and and we're we're doing this as part of the International Women's Day. And the theme this year is break the bias. And I think we're seeing there. You know, we've got Emma saying from a leadership point of view, back yourself. You've got Michelle saying, uh, you know, talking about well, I, the way I took it was sort of this, that empathetic sort of leadership and trying to understand, put yourself in the position of people. And then, uh, Bahari, you're talking about the really strong listening skills that you need and being able to understand from a patient's point of view and from a staff's point of view uh, where people are at and what, and what they're experiencing, uh, which sort of ties into that empathetic uh, the style of leadership as well. What do you think, though? I mean, in terms of breaking the bias and trying to um, ensure that there is strong female representation across the board, not only within the health industry, but really across uh, across all industries, what do you think it is that 
that, that people like yourself and females like yourself bring to the table when it comes to those sort of decision making, particularly when we go through a crisis such as what we've just gone through. I might get you to get take that first, Michelle. I think for me, with breaking the bias, is really calling out a lot of the stereotypes. So that include that happened as well during COVID very much, but it just sort of got highlighted. I think those gender stereotypes, calling that out, recognising the work that women do. And I, it's something that sort of sat with me too, Emma, was about you feeling that you needed to sort of really stand up to do that. And we as women shouldn't have to do that. We shouldn't have to feel that way. Um, it should be automatic that you were called upon, that your opinion was called upon. So I think for me, in my position, that's what I try to call, call out more, are those gender stereotypes. Something I would also, that I want to look around um, breaking the bias is around the role women have both within families but also within their work. With such a, a large amount of females in my workforce, that's a big issue. I need to do more. I, we need to do more, I think, to support women, especially women um, when they're having children, in any way that we can to support them to continue at the same level of their career as what their peers are. That they're not, people aren't disadvantaged in any way because they are choosing to have a family um, as a woman in the workforce. Um, I think we've got a long way to go too with pay, etc. But I think just ca calling things out when there can be a um, a woman at the table, when there is a woman at the table, it is it's ensuring that that voice is heard. Yeah, for me, that would be my big. Some of the things for breaking the biases. Well, I think it's two things. I mean, I think it's making sure women have a ta females and women have a table, a, a voice at the table. But it's also, mm -hmm. I think, just having females around the table will change the decisions that are made. Like if you get a group of males uh, in a room and say, "Look, here's the problem. We want you to come up with a solution." They might come up. With, they'll come up with a solution. But if you put one female in there and then two and three the solutions will change and become more inclusive because of things like the unconscious bias that males may mm. have about not understanding what it's like uh, to have to raise a family and and the the challenges that come from being a a, a female professional and particularly in a leadership role i mean is that a, is that a sort of fair point and have you seen that play out I might ask you, Emma, in your time, just by be even just being around the table, it changes the thinking um, of the decision makers. Yeah, definitely. I think females bring a whole diversity of experience. They think differently. We have a different way of approaching problems and solving problems, thinking through problems, and a different way of communicating the, the results to people as well. So if you have more females around the around the table, you, you will have more challenge of ideas, you'll have more challenge in the status quo, you know, this is how things are, but actually, why do they have to be like that? You know, who made that decision to begin with? What were the parameters around that? What were the external circumstances around that? And actually, that doesn't work for me, so how can we make that work? And the more that you have that challenge, the more you can discuss and talk your way through it, the more we can innovate and the more that we can improve the systems that are in place. So we need to have more females just to have that diversity. Well, and I mean, it, within Northern Sydney Local Health District, you've got 70% of employees there that identify as women. Do you think there's anything in particular, I mean, you, and, and you three have risen up through the ranks there, the Boone leadership positions. I mean, is there anything that's unique about Northern Sydney Local Health District's culture that sort of allowed you, you think, to rise up through the ranks and get to the positions you are? I might throw that one to you, Bahare. Yeah, certainly. It's actually interesting when you look at the... Um, 
health in general, basically. And then compared to medicine, it's a little bit different in medical um, environment. So yes, healthy is kind of, uh, we do have a very good gender balance across the whole health. And especially when you look at the um, exec members of the different facilities and the district, basically, it's quite female dominant. But interestingly, when you actually look at the medical side of it, potentially only around 20% of the heads of departments or clinical directors are female. So still we do have quite a long way to go in terms of medical part of it, unfortunately. Uh, which And, and um, a little bit related back to, for example, to, to our last question, the bias, being a young female in a male-dominant environment, it's not easy. And sometimes it, you really have to stand up for yourself and what you really truly believe that this is the right thing to do, especially um, it's, uh, it's a little bit medical hierarchy. It's a little bit like army sometimes and breaking that, it can be a little bit challenging. But that's a very good thing about this district because almost a, not, a lot of we have a very good representation from the females at the executive levels, for example, and different directors and managers. And they have achieved so far a lot. And we have been through a lot and we couldn't do it without these leaders, basically. And it's actually made it um, quite clear to everyone that it, it, it is not possible that if you don't have that mentality that, you know, uh, females, they're not, they're not good leaders mm-hmm. or they're not good managers. Because in, in, in people's minds, sometimes you can be a good female leader, but not necessarily a good female manager, but at, which is completely biased and wrong, of course. But having that culture and then giving the females, the young females especially, the voice of being that representation, trusting their professions, trusting their professional judgment, trusting their experience that they bring with them, not just dismissing everything because you're young. I think that's one of the greatest achievements of this organization, basically, of our district. We have acquired a lot of young, intelligent um, female in various roles that they're doing an amazing job. And I hope and I think and, and I trust that they've been recognized very well. And that, that actually shows that how we trust the next generation, not that I'm old, but the next generation <laughs> that's coming and taking it basically from the known stereotype of being, you need to be an old man, man basically to be a manager of a unit, for example. Well, how does that look? I mean, in the practical sense, what sort of things are you three doing as leaders to give the opportunity to these younger females coming through to show their wares from a leadership point of view? So some of the things that I um, I think, again, it's, it's listening to them. So having time, well, I know we talk about it, our, you know, the prides doing the professional development reviews and things, but it's really like I was mentored. I do encourage with the midwives to actually look at some mentorship, um, seek it yourself. So if you find someone or I can help them to do it. So it's actually doing sort of a real um, career guidance as well for people. And I I just really believe that we all need that level. That's what got me here. I had that support. So if I can do anything for um, the midwives in Northern Sydney Local Health District to support that, I will. So whether that's through education, whether that's through career pathways, and I think I've certainly got more work to do in the career pathway 
sense. So I need to, uh, we need to improve that for midwifery because it's very much just become, you know, there's sort of three jobs as a midwifery consultant or a few jobs as a manager. It's a really, an it's, there's not a lot of career progression that they can see, it's not visible. So I need to make it more visible, easier, and probably some more options. So that's part of my role as well for them, but creating those experiences. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think from an allied health point of view, I mean, the, the leadership career path isn't always clear. I mean, you see the obvious, you can be a head of department, you can be a team leader, but there's not that many roles. So what are the other options that are out there? So showing people that leadership is not just being in a management position, that you can be a leader by inspiring people to do research or, I mean, the beauty of our health district is that it is so broad. There's so many roles available and it's not obvious how to get into all of them or that they even exist. And I think that's been one of my big learnings moving into the allied health directorate is that actually there's so many different arms, so many different roles, and they challenge different skills as well. So there's that diversity of roles, but we just need to make them more transparent and more obvious what this career prog progression could look like for people. I might add another thing to that, if it's okay. I think one of the things that it's important for not all of us, but potentially for the young one as well. Just being authentic, like mm. because I think we actually, as female, we actually bring a completely different view to the table, completely different angle of analyzing, looking at things, interpreting things, even in a personal at the personal level, basically. And we don't need to change. And then it's sometimes leadership can be very, you need, for example, it can be interpreted that you actually need to fit in a, in a special box in that structure, then that's how you actually will be a good leader. And we always hear this phrase of you're a born leader. I'm not actually sure that I really agree with it. I think you need to have that underlying personality, but then what you learn through your career, through your life, through everything, that's what makes you actually a good leader or a good manager, a good person, basically. And for, for, for a young person that they want to actually continue that career opportunity, being themselves is enough and trusting in their ability, in their skills and they, what they learn and what they can achieve instead of constantly trying to be someone else. Uh, it, it's good to actually look at the others and then see what they're doing well, trying to see if I can do it in that way, mm -hmm. but not necessarily changing what I have I love what I have, and I think that's the unique things about it because I'm completely different with Michelle, and I'm completely different with Haley, mm -hmm. and with Emma, and that's a, that's the beauty of it because then it means that I'm my view is different, and what I bring is different, and then that's how that collective work is works, and that's potentially the the stronger things about the females because somehow naturally we have that ability to respect and listen to the others when for example you have different different 10 different opinions around the table instead of you know trying to dismiss some of, some of the things that are coming up because potentially naturally females are like as mom they need to listen to every single child for example every single kid that they bring something to them not compared to that's that's it. That's a stereotype. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not compared to the mothers, for example. They just listen to the louder one. But but I think and that you can actually see it when you're in a meeting, um, and and sometimes actually I compare it with when a female actually chairing a meeting compared to a man chairing a meeting, 
um, I feel that uh, you have a little bit more time and that and you give it a little bit more time to the others to bring their ideas and you know to represent what they think and and that's a good thing about us and if we can just tell everyone just be yourself use what you have trust your skills and trust your talent you'll be fine and enjoy what you're doing that's mm-hmm. the main thing mm. yeah just to add to that as well i think because i've got the experience of coming from a male-dominated area yeah. and a female-dominated yeah. area yeah i think yeah i could really tell the difference in in when i was in meetings in a male-dominated and this is a generalization again I felt it was very hierarchical and was very autocratic. There would be the agenda and you would stick to that and there would be no talking. There were, it was almost like there, were, there was an agreement before you even came into the meeting. So it didn't really matter what you said a lot of the time. Whereas when I, so and at times you felt embarrassed about bringing up your own ideas. You weren't, you didn't feel safe to bring up ideas. So there wasn't a lot of innovation from that perspective because there wasn't challenge to what was coming up. Whereas when I came into, I, particularly this health district, I think particularly into OT and into the Allied Health Directorate, I felt safe to be able to bring up ideas. I felt nurtured. And I, yeah, I felt that if I wasn't contributing because I was a bit sitting back in the meeting, that people would actually ask me and try to draw me into the meeting. And I found that was, it was just so collaborative. It really makes you feel included. And I think it really does change the outcome. It, it not only gives you a good outcome, but it gives you a better outcome than what you would have expected to begin with because it's a mix of all these ideas that have come together and everyone has their own perspective, but when you take the best bits out of them all, it really benefits. So to actually feel valued to be myself, I found that was a completely, that was just a, a breath of fresh air to be respected for who I actually was rather than having to take on sort of more male personality traits to get my point across. And look, I think Bahari's really touched on the, the break the bias theme of International Women's Day by saying, and, and the reason I say this is the bias around what does a leader look like, and it's very much male-centric, and you have this vision of this strong, decisive leader that stands over everyone and, and runs everything and micromanages everything, and it's like... No, the, it's not the leaders that have to change and the people coming through into these leadership positions. It's actually our organisations and our society as a whole that needs to change to accompany new leaders coming through. And then we're going to get uh, the the benefits from the diversity that that brings and the inclusion that that brings. I mean, what what do you see within Northern Sydney Local Health District itself and, and, and even broadly, more broadly into society that we need to change to make sure that we're more accepting uh, of female leadership and all of the benefits that that will bring? That's sort of touched on, I think, you know, recognising and understanding gender roles. So that's, I mean, that's much bigger than me, but, and recognising that, for women, it can be a really juggling career with family, prioritising, feeling judged. They can um, in our work by workforce, by everything in themselves. There is so there is a lot of pressure. So I, I see that with the staff, and it's been the same through COVID. Um, the role that's expected on women can be different um, in society. Um, so work may not be for some women, and this is where we've got to be really careful with these stereotypes. Because for some women in, say, um, nursing and midwifery, in their family unit, they may not the work their work may not be seen as important as important as their partners. So there's things like that. So the expectations is that they do the school pickups, the 
get the sick child or be doing the homeschooling and their career, they pull away from their career, etc. Now, for some women, they choose not to do that quite strongly and their career is the focus. Um, and then they can feel the challenge of that because then there's that stereotype that, oh, she's not as, you know, into being with the family. It's so hard. That's all I kind of... So for me, as a leader, I try very much to try to ensure that we don't stereotype and that we give those women as much as we can in the workplace um, to support them, but also recognising that some of it's bigger than me. Um, Look, I agree, and I think uh, I think that's interestingly applies to both men and women mm. because, yes. like, it, it doesn't matter the task. It has mm. to be... It's a share, like... Um, like yes, exactly the same thing that you said, Michelle. Like if, for example, they go and do school drops and pickups mm -hmm. and all of that, and then when a male colleague asks for it, um, it's kind of they looked at a little bit yeah, differently. That's true. Why, for example, that's you're true. doing that and you're not doing yeah. your job well. Yeah. And I think it, it actually the whole divide is wrong. Yeah. Like if that's you put it. everyone on one big pool and say. Like you're a parent, you have to do it regardless of your mom or your dad, basically. Yes, yeah. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter that, that much. And then that same goes with how do you roster. That same goes to how you apply for a job. That same goes how you get paid for it. We know that we do have a lot of problem for uh, medical um, offices, like the female medical offices, in terms of uh, the progression to the senior clinician because of the time that they have to spend because they go to maternity leave and then they have a breakdown in service and all of that and then they have a breakdown in pay so it shouldn't matter it shouldn't no. it, you being a female or a male it actually shouldn't matter in terms of what you do in terms of what you get paid in terms of what you study in terms of what you do school related family related work related it's, it should be all the same. And, and the fact that it's actually divided in people's mind, mm -hmm. that shows that how fundamentally we're wrong about it. Yeah. And it's definitely above district. It's like, it's above, like, yeah. it's not one single policy can fix it. It's the whole culture. It's the whole fundamental. It's a little bit related to the virus. Like if, if I, and do you know how many times as a young woman, when I say, oh, I don't feel very well today, they ask me the first thing that they ask, you're not pregnant, mm -hmm. are you? Mm -hmm. And I think, where is fucking, where is that coming from? Why? Why is this the first question? But actually, these days they ask, you don't have COVID, do you? And it's very silly to me. It's fundamental. It's mm. just, yeah. But I guess, in a way, with, I guess, over the last couple of years, things, there is hope for change, I think. With COVID, the traditional caring roles, your nurses, your medical professionals, teachers, we've come more to the forefront, like the people on the front line, it's no longer the army, it's it's us. Um, people are becoming more aware that the caring professions can have just as much of an impact mm -hmm. and are just as important to keep society going as what was previously seen as sort of male, your stronger um, professions. And I think there's been more and more um, conflict over the past couple of months with people wanting to be remunerated in consistently for that, um, because people have had to step up with people who have not traditionally been in a in a fighting profession and now fighting on the front line, and we need we've had to step up, we've had to do the hours, we've had to take on the additional responsibility, we've had to take the risk as well. I mean, we've been in a life and death situation, um, which 
which people didn't really see before, and we actually took the risk for our families as well. So we've been doing things that we have, that were completely out of, out of what we would have been expected before. Yeah, and it's in a profession that hadn't been considered a strong or a, or a male profession. That's right, before. and some of that is about remuneration. So we know money can talk. So I do think, so, you know, in our state for nursing, midwifery, teaching, etc., like you're saying, some of the allied health, it is about recognising it through remuneration, and sometimes that can help. Putting a, yeah, putting a bigger dollar figure on our um, jobs where we've got predominantly females. Yeah, and I think society is recognising it. Yeah, is starting to listen to females more. I think the last year or so, with Brittany Higgins, with um, Grace Tame being the Australian of the Year, before people who may not have had their opinions listened to and may have felt judged. Yeah, that's, that's changing now. Now they're being taken seriously and they're having to be taken seriously at the highest levels as well. So hopefully that means that there is change in the air for us as health professionals, but also us as a gender. Actually, COVID showed globally, not here at the state level or district or facility level, showed actually um, the success of the female leaders mm, yeah, going through the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, it was greater than the male ones. Mm -hmm. Again, not the stereotyping against our, mm -hmm. our male colleagues, yeah. but I think that actually highlighted uh, like that multitasking of females and then you know all of the other skills. That was actually a very good example to show us that uh, how what a successful leader looked like mm -hmm. taking everyone through the pandemic. Not making it political. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll keep out of that. So what, I mean, I think there were some good points raised there. And again, you you go to the biases and you got to sort of check your biases at the door, I think. And a lot of it might even be unconscious from managers and the way that they deal with male staff compared to female staff and the, the underlying assumptions that we sometimes make. And I think we touched on it there. And one of the things that you were talking about there with, with nursing, and I've seen this, I've got a number of friends that their partners are nurses and things like that. And all of a sudden, the dynamic has shifted within the family where the nurse is the most important part of the job within the family. And it's like, there's no way that she can have a sick day or she can miss any time at work because it's all hands on deck. I mean, do you feel like that will now flow through and that's going to be more the norm now that you think well this is actually the most important job rather than, and a lot of times you know other other roles can work from home and be flexible in that sense whereas in the health sector obviously it's not the, the flexibility is not quite there i mean do you think that's going to sort of uh, flow through and what other challenges do you see ahead now that uh, and, I, and i hesitate to sort of say that covid's entering the endemic stage because it, it might sort of shock you to hear someone admit they're not an expert on COVID nineteen uh, compared to <laughs> compared to you uh, to you three. But I mean, as we move into I guess the next phase of COVID, what does twenty twenty two look like? Um, look, I think one of the one of the interesting things about COVID was actually showed that all jobs and all tasks and all roles are equally important. Mm -hmm. Like we actually, for example experience that when the supermarket was done, mm -hmm. for example, yes. or but or the public transport. So it, it, it's now we know that every single person in the community, regardless of what they do, they're actually important, regardless of their gender, regardless of the level of what they do, basically. And that was, I think, one of the good things that came out of COVID. The second one was everyone 
being forced to explore alternative options or whatever we're doing, if that was a care that we're providing or if you're organizing a meeting or if we're organizing an education session or an education session or something like that. That thinking outside the box, it's, it's going to be very crucial for whatever we plan for future because we know our workforce actually impacted significantly and we know that the level of the burnout is actually pretty high. We know that this is not going to disappear anytime soon and we have to learn to live with it. So stick together, basically, that will be the main message and will be the, the main thing that we all of us will learn, not just through health, not just through one department, the whole community, basically. And that shows if even one person doing the wrong thing, that how actually that impacts the whole community. And if one person doing the, wrong, the right thing, then how that impacts the whole community. So that's one big thing that came out of COVID. And I think that being conscious of that and, and, and using the good thing that already had in the system, for example, the, the great things that we achieved through telehealth and medicine and but look at us now for example we're having a remote meeting we we, we, we were so used to having a face-to-face -face meeting but now these days no one's do that anymore because online meetings are very efficient so just i think we can pick up all of the good things that happen and use it in our benefit and and by our benefit i mean we have to look at look after our staff we know that they're very tired they're exhausted and we uh, the the business is not going anywhere. We still have to provide the care. We still have to continue the COVID, but just continuity of what we're doing, maybe in a different way, in a in a different shape, maybe, and how we actually transition our community through that. Because we have to be conscious about not everyone has that IT intelligence, for example, in the community to do telehealth or not everyone, for example, can work from home mm -hmm. um, because maybe they don't have the IT or maybe because they have to be here in person. So creating that flexibility, I think that's something that we just need to maybe think a, lot, a little bit more about it and see, just thinking about the options. Like I know, for example, at the very beginning, we were quite reluctant of, for example, using a specific type of a workforce like medical students and then because we were thinking that we have to spend a lot of time for this provision and then we might not get a lot of benefit, but we actually proven completely wrong. So that which was good, which was very good. And we just have to constantly think outside the box to, to be more efficient in terms of, you know, using all of the other resources. Mm. That would be my thing that I take from the COVID. And hopefully, Darren, I, I hope mm. that you are, yes, you're not the COVID expert, but I hope you're right. And that's the end of it. I really hope. <laughs> I think, again, you touch on an important point there where all jobs within society really have been uh, highlighted to the importance of what you're doing and, and connecting to the end user of what you're, do, what you're doing within society, whether it is public transport, uh, shopping, teaching, uh, within the health sector and things like that. So, I mean, and, and that's something I think, has that sort of something that's highlighted to you all during these last two years, just again, touching on the importance of, of the health industry and the importance of getting it right? Yeah, look, for me, like the, the thing I my take home and to go forward with as well is really recognising, like, 
authentically, you know, genuine acknowledgement of it being a whole team. So that is our, you know, from our nursing midwifery in my team, for example, our what our cleaning staff, what the admin, what everybody do to make that team. And when one part of it is away because we've had COVID and we see one little part of it just not be there, oh my gosh, you, it, everything falls apart, <laughs> you know, for that moment. So you really understand just that part that every single person plays. Um, and I tell you, my, uh, the big thing for me is just being so grateful for them. That's every time I go down there, I, am, I just feel more grateful than ever when I'm, when I'm in our units and when I'm with our families. I just feel more grateful for every single person in that team yeah. and, and that yeah, they're here with us and going into the future, hopefully, with it not being like this so reactionary all the time. Yeah. I just see better things because of the way that team has come together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're yeah. building on what both of you have said. I think it's looking at, because this is a long-term, this is the new future that we're looking at, we have to look at ways to make it sustainable. Otherwise, we, we are going to burn everyone out. Yeah. So redefining what that team actually is, because, yeah, health is our small teams, health is the hospital, but health is also looking out into the community and saying, you know, there's primary health, there's GPs we can get involved, there's allied health in the community, there's pharmacists in the community, and actually working with them and collaborating with them to make a more sustainable um, team, I guess. Great. Yeah. And the, the thing that Emma just mentioned now, it, it reminded me of something very interesting. There is an interesting um, phrase in the, when you look at the organizational structure. It's a difference between a, a closed and open organization. And COVID actually showed <laughs> no organization is closed. Mm -hmm. Like every single organization, like your education, your public transport, everything else, are so open and so they overlap. Like how, for example, the school closure impacted our oh, health, our workforce, absolutely. and vice versa, for example. And and then inside the health, we actually experience that how every single unit is open, and that will be something that through going out of um, COVID, it helps us actually to know we're not alone and mm -hmm. we're not going to be closed at all. Very fluid. A couple of final questions before I let you go. Uh, I want to understand, I think what we're touching on there is the importance of recognition of people's roles within a team. And I think that's something that, again, has been highlighted within COVID. And I also think it's something that can assist uh, females moving into leadership roles, the more recognition you get. And obviously part of that would be uh, through better pay and things like that. But there's also just, I guess, the recognition from leadership for a job well done and, can, and again, connecting that person to, what, to the importance of what they're doing. What are some of the things that you do as a leader? I might start with you this time, Emma, to just sort of to, to pass it on and recognise people within your team for the for, for good work that they've done? Well, I guess, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really in a, a leadership position as such. I guess I work with other people, other other colleagues, and when things are done well, I just like to recognise that in person and just say, you know, you did a really good job there. I really liked what you did there. Or even go to them for advice and say, you did that really well. How can I learn from that? I think just that simple recognition is often enough, but I think there are also there's also more formal recognition that the um, that the health district has as well. I mean, in allied health, we've got um, awards for allied health professions day, for example, where we try to recognise. 
like people who have gone above and beyond. But I think there's so many things that everyone does every day that, and it's particularly over the last couple of years, that have been above and beyond. So they're just that like instantaneous sense of appreciation and, and gratitude, I think. It makes a massive difference. I'll just get the others. I mean, Bahari and, and, and Michelle, is there any ways that you sort of particularly choose to recognise people within your teams and your areas? Yeah, so for me it can be uh, writing a note just or a handwritten card, you know, but a lot of it is just face-to-face um, thank you. It can be emails. It's making sure that I'm specific about what I'm also being thankful for. It's not just sort of a glib thanks everybody, but actually being specific. Um, it's very easy for me to do that because there's been so many heroes in this um, during this time for me, but um, I, I constantly feel like I need to do more. So I definitely have, I feel a void sometimes that I haven't done enough. Um, I wish I could buy them every, you know, sometimes that way to, to say it, but I know that it is just the simple gestures. It might be through the compliments portal. Um, it's also um, writing to the people higher up and saying, so that could be my director of nursing and midwifery or, and general manager at Royal North Shore. I certainly know when I've included them in thanks what I really love is they then write back to that person too and say, hey, thank you. Like, So all going always, they'll recognise our staff too and our teams. Yeah, it's it's that recognition, being genuine, like I said, little things. But, yeah, there's so many through COVID. And there always was. I've always felt that people were going above and beyond. But it's also even just as simple as listening or asking questions about themselves, so about the person. So from anybody, like I'm not just talking about midwifery, it could be anybody just when I walk around the unit and just listen to their story bits, say, hey, how are your parents? I know they're overseas or different things. You know, be genuine and give people your time as well. That's another another thing that I, I like to do as a leader. I wish I could do more of that. Yeah, I agree. And and for me, Naren, it's like um, formal and informal ways that we can do that, basically. And um, it, we, can, we can make it very sophisticated and, you know, for example, through very formal ways, but even with very con- something very simple that we can do. And I agree with you, Michelle, it shouldn't be only the people that we're working with them, basically everyone. Mm-hmm. And again, going that to that bias, it shouldn't be only towards a specific member of the team, but mm-hmm. either male or female or a hierarchy, sure. everyone basically. And even having that smile on your face, giving them a chocolate or buying them a coffee or picking up the phone and just checking on them to make sure they go home on time. Or for example, I don't know, if they don't if they don't feel well, just checking on them to make sure they're okay, to make sure that their workload is under control and all of that. And when it comes to more formal ways of doing that, certainly writing to them in a formal way or acknowledging, for example, the work that they've done and especially telling them um, the their manager, um, because that might be actually a good thing for their career progression in case if they're planning to do that. And that, that will bring a positive culture to the unit that what I'm doing is it's recognized and that that will give them more energy to do more things when actually we highlight all of the good things. And um, it's not always, of course, everything is good, not always everything is positive. But then when we recognize the positive things, then actually opens up um, time and opportunity to talk about the things that are not happening in the right way. Again, because when you have that positive culture of, for example, I recognize what you've done right and what you achieved, then that will build up that type of a trust relationship between you and the other person that, for example, when something goes wrong, 
then you can trust that relationship that you have with them and you can go and try to fix whatever the problem was, basically. I completely agree. I know every new Bahari, like, you know, like, I definitely, that is so true. Like, as a leader, I, I absolutely know that if I needed you, I could absolutely, you know, call yeah. on you. It's exactly, exactly. Right. Absolutely. And I think, and then that, that will happen. It's like, you know, and, and, and that's one of, maybe that's one of the beauty of the roles that we do because we spend a lot of time, potentially 60% of our time is, having that good communication and good relationship with people because not because we certainly need something but just because of the work that we actually we do together basically if i don't have that trust relationship with my team with everyone that's working how we make sure that the work is happening we can't be there 24 7 we can't micromanage everyone everyone is an adult everyone is a professional person that's working so we have to trust them and we have to build up that relationship that we can, in case something bad happens or in case if we're going like another disaster like COVID, then that's in our favor, basically. That's our, that's how we're building up our team and our culture. And that's what we're proud of, I guess. That's one of the beautiful things that we're very proud of in this really organization. Mm-hmm. I am really, that, that sounds very cliche, but really no. through the COVID, I was very proud of working with the team that I worked with them. I couldn't do without without them. Every single person, big or small, the the things that they've done, we couldn't do it without them, truly. And now we can stand and say, yep, we did it. All right, well, that might be a nice note to leave it on, I think. Bahare, is there any (laughs) areas we didn't cover that we would think that... um... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to say, I think they're simple things that we just covered, but it does highlight uh, what, what what people like yourself, females like yourself, bring to the table as leaders. Yeah, and I just was recognising our leaders, so that support um, that I felt, so I think that's been a massive enabler because I, I've got that confidence and, and people behind me, it feels like, absolutely like they're standing behind me, whether it's members of the team but also my leaders, to know that I've got all of those people there. Yeah. That's what, that makes such a difference. They're amazing. You know, the trust, the support. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. So look, whether you're male, female, work within the health sector or another industry entirely, if you didn't get something out of that podcast, I honestly think you're really not trying hard enough. There were so many important areas that we covered, not only in terms of diversity, but in terms of the sort of skills that we should look to bring to the table as managers and indeed employees within today's workplace. And I should also point out, if you are listening to this within the Northern Sydney Local Health District, please bear in mind that we have set up a Smart Coach module dedicated to International Women's Day, which is featured on the Moments That Matter portal and really helps serve to highlight the importance of challenging biases and misconceptions within the workplace to create a more inclusive and gender equal world, which is really what International Women's Day should be all about. So I hope you enjoy your International Women's Day for 2022, and I look forward to joining you again with some similarly important and wide-ranging topics and conversations across the rest of this year.